Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com. And this is going to be one of those shows where I get to know my guests just as you are getting to know my guests. Sometimes I've met people before or we've been in communication for a while, different ways this happens. And this time I get to credit the Speakeasy Poets in, in Topeka, Kansas, I believe, because that's the connection. Um, Annette Billings and Sue Edgerton and other poet friends in Topeka have this lovely once a month open mic and you can find on Facebook Speakeasy Poets and that first Wednesday open mic. And today my guest is one of the Speakeasy Poets. And this is poet Johnny Gale. And I have lots of questions, lots of questions. Starting with, here you are in Lawrence, Kansas. You live now in Topeka, Kansas. Yes. You came from Arizona. To yes. Kansas, to Topeka, Kansas. Coming to Topeka, Kansas, I think is the part that gets me. So Johnny, tell us about that. <laughs> it, it was, let's, let, let me tell you, it was a huge jump. Um, <clears throat> I was born in uh, I was born in East LA, raised in um, Phoenix, Tempe, Arizona, and uh, spent twenty years in Tucson. Uh, I was in Tucson and I crash and burned, so I had to move back home with my parents. I was already in a conversation with uh, a person online who was saying that they were going to move to Arizona. They were going to move to Phoenix specifically, which is. If you come from here, uh-huh. it's already 105 degrees there, uh-huh. and we're sitting at 60 degrees today. Uh-huh. So it's it's blasting hot uh-huh. for someone from here. So I always wait that first year or two before I even decide to get to know somebody if they move to Arizona. <laughs> well, my spouse ended up moving to Arizona after saying they would. And we had known each other in these forums. This is the days before Facebook. We ended up meeting. And then we didn't see each other again. And then we met again. And then we ended up coming together. Like it was really fast. A lot of people <laughs> were like, this is so fast. <laughs> we already had, had build, been building a relationship. Uh-huh. And they are from Topeka. Oh. <laughs> so a uh, Hispanic native person from Topeka went to Arizona and we met what? Do we met? We met a year into it, and then, because I moved back from Tucson in 2000, and they moved into Arizona at the end of 2000. And so we got together in 2002. We've been together over almost 15 years. In that time, we have traveled to Kansas and back every year for 12 years. I think we've only flown once, and then we missed one year. But we drive back and forth per family. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, uh, my sister-in-law's health is debilitated. Is, 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 she's not she's not well uh-huh. so we uh moved out here to be supportive and to be here for for her uh-huh. and my mother-in-law who has you know she's older and she has lots of things going on so that's how i got here uh-huh. well that's a very sweet reason <laughs> it's a hard reason because yeah. you, you you walk away. I, I i walked away from starting to rebuild my poetic career and storytelling because i did i don't know if i told you i'm a storyteller I was rebuilding my career in that in that in that realm because I stopped working in kitchens and I returned back to the thing that I love the most, which is poetry and words and, and telling stories. And then, you know, come out here uh-huh. and this the community all over Kansas has just been so welcoming. 
and so open. And I had met Annette Billings in the summer when we came through on our trip. And then I knew about the Speakeasy Poets because I always research a region if I'm going to go to it. Uh So I knew about them and uh, started connecting there and then just kind of spidered out. And I've been having happenstance meetings in Kansas City with other poets. Great. There's a lot going on. (sighs) There's a lot going on out there. And because of our situation, it's very hard for me to, to break out and break away and and travel and do the things I, I, I want to do for this. Uh-huh. So Topeka's home base, Kansas City is close enough and there's cool, cool stuff going on in Kansas City. Yeah. And Annette Billings was maybe a little bit of encouragement because how can you not meet Annette? You can't meet Annette and not fall in love with her. <laughs> so it's like, I want to be around this person. This person is amazing and wonderful. Yes. Love. As somebody christened her the supermodel of love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she, she has this very calming, very gentle energy. I am a little hyper and a little like <laughs> energetic. <laughs> but, you know, it's I've discovered because we just came back from Denver and I did I did an open mic out there. And, you know, just anywhere I read, I, I cross lines, I cross I cross genders, I cross um, age age groups, I cross um different strata you know uh-huh. different classes of people because what it comes down to is if, if your words carry a message they can be read anywhere and received yes, yes. so yes. and i've learned not to be the angry lesbian poet <laughs> which i was for years in tucson i remember one friend who when she came out she came out to everyone she would be at a restaurant and she'd say give this lesbian a cup of coffee <laughs> And then over time, she just became Regina again. <laughs> well, I, so I, I did storytelling last week for um, Outwards LGBTQ Storytelling uh, run by Joel Barrett. Joel Speaks Out. It's his, he hosts this uh, once a month storytelling for, for queers. Is that in Topeka? In Kansas City Kansas at the City. Outburst. Okay. Okay. I want to give them a, a shout out. So I went and I told a story and it was Tornado Watch Night. <laughs> So hardly anybody showed up, but we, you know, we had a great time and I heard a great story and, and I've heard this before. And, uh, this young, this young man, um, reminded me that I haven't come out once. I haven't come out twice. I've come out three times uh-huh. because I've come out as a lesbian. I came out as, as a kink leather person. And then I came out as a gender queer. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's this big unfolding uh-huh. and unfolding of the self to get to the core of the being. Uh-huh. And my experience with friends is it's coming out to self and coming out to the world. It's part of the process. It's not, it's not always clear for a lot of reasons. And my belief is that it's because of all these messages that we get about what are the options of who we can be. So I can, I can relate to that. And I know it's brave. And I also know it's inspiring for the people to hear somebody else say, and this is who I am, and I know this now. And this is, as Stephanie Mott would say, my authentic self. And, and I, I remain open to change because uh-huh. down the road, maybe that'll change. Uh-huh. Who knows? Uh-huh. I don't think so. I think where I'm at right now is pretty comfortable because uh-huh. it took a long time to get here. Uh-huh. I, I didn't. I didn't buzz my hair. I've, I've, I've buzzed hair. I didn't buzz my hair until after my mother died in 2002. 
I just so 2002 was a big year for you. Yeah, you I was huge. that with your relationship as well. We were less than six months into it when my mother died. And it was go to the hospital every day, um, be there. And it was hard. And so for a brand new blossoming relationship to undergo that level of stress yeah. is, is, is huge. Yeah. And the part of that story is the year before I'd lost my oldest niece in a car accident and the truck she was driving blew up with her in it. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that was just sort of like that, th those two deaths were like the tail end of like a four year, uh, four year period of grief and loss and just immense, immense amount of emotional pain. Uh -huh. So, and so how does writing fit with all of that? Because for so many people, I've had so many people literally say, this is what saved my life. Writing for me ha is, is what helps me make sense of all of this out here in this world. And I started writing when I was like 11. I think somewhere I wrote down, I started writing when I was seven. I may have, I don't know. I was reading. I, I went through our entire elementary school library by the time I was out of third grade and started on the new school's library. And uh, I started writing, but I wasn't sharing stuff. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And um, I come from an extremely traumatic background. Uh, and in the early nineties, I had a crash and burn in a relationship and I went into intensive therapy for three years. And during that period, I came back to my writing and I came back to performing and I came back to exposing myself with the words, because sometimes for some people, just the act of writing something is the brave. It, that, that's it. That's it. They got it out. Okay. <laughs> You know, yeah. And that's what they do. Yeah. For me, the second step, the next step was performing, mm -hmm. was was going up to that mic and going up, going up on that stage and on that mic and saying this out loud. Because for some reason, in that trans in in that moment of, of catharsis, of release, you let I feel like you let go of that energy that's binding you down. So we can write and we can write and we can write. What are we releasing? For some people that works, especially introverts. <laughs> um, for me, I took the next step. I had a mentor um, who took me and uh, and sort of trained me up, so to speak. We uh, we did a street performance group in Tucson called the Mud People, and it was drums and it was you know like ambient guitar sounds, maybe a horn, a sax, or something thrown in every once in a while, a flute. And uh, I was the voice. So for like three and a half, four months, I was the front. I was the front per person, the voice for this group called the Mud People, and we were performing on the downtown Saturday nights, which is like the the art walk in Topeka. Uh, every, every once a month, they did this this art walk, this this downtown performance thing, and we would we would play wherever we could grab space because we didn't pay for our spaces. <laughs> It was very underground, very guerrilla. It was guerrilla art. It was very, um, and I was I was in the process of writing uh, my manuscript catharsis then, because of what I was going through. And and George got a hold of me and just put me on that microphone and said, "Do what you got to do. We're here for you. We support you." 
And we did that for a while. I remember one of our members came up finally. They were like, they were at the University of Arizona and they're like, I saw us in the bathroom. Mud people rule. This is so exciting. We made it. We're on a college bathroom graffiti wall. <laughs> and I'd already graduated and I'd moved on. So I wasn't visiting campus. So I didn't see it. And I don't know why they were on campus at that time, but it was exciting. So so writing became the healing for me, but I had always been writing. What happened for me was the transformation of being on the microphone mm -hmm. and, and, re, and, 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 and gaining validation for my experiences. And when you say validation, I guess what I think is that, well, I want you to tell me, tell us, what, what about it gave you validation? Oh, that's a good question. It's, let me find the poem. It, it wasn't that, it wasn't the applause. Mm -hmm. It's not the adoration when the whole room hushes and you speak. It's afterwards. It's coming off that stage and having that person come up to me and say, can I have a hug? You've spoken what I felt for so yes. long. And recently, since I've been reading my genderqueer stuff, this has been happening more and more and more. Yeah. And the younger people, the people who are like 15 and 18 and 21, they're yeah. coming up to me in, literally in tears. Yes. yes. That's, and, and that was happening when I was, when I was doing my work, when I was reading my work on, on healing from childhood sexual abuse. And I would read these words and I wasn't writing about situations. I was writing about emotions. And people would do the same thing. I did a performance piece, and for the life of me, I cannot find this piece anymore. It's called A Little Box of Crayons. And a friend of mine gave me space in her gallery, and I did it. And I did this. It was just like this whole body thing and drawing with crayons and, and talking about stuff. And that piece does speak specifically to incidents. Um, and this gentleman came up to me afterwards, this young man, and just, just confessed his heart. That's, that's what gives me validation, that I'm not alone. Right, right. We're not alone. You get that, and your audience gets that. And that's huge. That's a huge gift. Yeah. yeah. Come on, where's my phone? Give it to me. Yes. All right. So um, in the realm of being validated or feeling validated or receiving validation, uh-huh. One of the things I didn't get a lot of when I was growing up was validation. For years, this has been my signature poem. It's called Validate Me. Would you like me to read it? That'd be lovely. All right. May I apologize to your sound guy in advance? <laughs> you can say whatever is in there. And I want to, I realize, I want to make sure people know who you are. And like, did I even say your name at the beginning? Yes, you did. Okay. Yes. This is Johnny Gale. And his signature poem, Validate. Former signature poem. I have a new one now. Okay. So, but this is the one that I like to do sometimes when I'm feeling frisky. Validate me. I want to say I bought a new shirt today and I want you to say, okay. I want to say that I put my shoes on one at a time this morning and I want you to say, okay. I want to say that I painted a picture, not with words, but with a canvas and a paintbrush. And I want you to look at the picture and say, what were you thinking? 
I want to say that I made a nice soup with lentils and potatoes. And I want you to say, did it taste good? And I want to say that I went to the cafe today and met some really weird people, but they were really nice, really weird people. And I want you to say, what did you talk about? And I want to say that I brushed my teeth this morning. I got dressed and I went to work. I got out of fucking bed this morning. And I want you to say, wow, that's great. I want to say that I didn't take a drink today and I want you to say congratulations. I want to say that I talked to a tree today and the tree told me just a little bit more about life. And I want you to say, what exactly did the tree say? And I want to say that I rode my bicycle 50 miles over some really gnarly hills and I, and I want you to say, were you tired afterwards? And I want to say that I smiled at a child today and she smiled back. And I want you to say, Gee, that's nice. Because I want validation for my life. I want recognition. I won a Scholastic Art Award in a citywide competition in junior high, and they didn't say anything. I made the honor roll as a sophomore, but not as a junior, and they said, why did your grades drop? And I didn't say because I skipped a lot of my classes to go get high out by the railroad tracks, and I was out buying liquor for my friends under age because I could, and my friends liked to drink, and so did I. It made me popular and my friends would say, <laughs> you're funny. And it was only after I left home that they framed my drawings and hung them in the living room. It was only after busting my ass for six years in college and making the dean's list that my mom said, I always knew you were the smart one. I want to say that I ate a candy bar today and I want you to say what kind. And I want to say that I went to the grocery store with a budget and a list and bought all the items on the list and didn't go a penny over to have you say okay because grocery stores are scary places for me and sore buses and restaurants that I don't know. But I can walk down the street at 3 a.m. without a weapon and feel absolutely safe. Validate me. Wow. That's beautiful. And that speaks to so many people. I wrote that in 1994, um, and the first time I performed it, I was I was scared shitless. Uh -huh. And then it became the poem that I read everywhere. Uh huh. So, um, and I was I was about a year into a year and a half into my into my therapy. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Because so many of us, we come from backgrounds where we don't feel like we get that kind of, that kind of just total acceptance. And I meet yeah. these people who talk about their families and their parents and how they love them and what they receive. And I, and, and, and I, and I, and, and I, I'm aghast. Uh -huh. I'm like, not every home is broken. Not every, yeah. not every family falls apart. I don't understand this, yeah. you know, but I'm learning. I'm learning that there are healthy people out there uh -huh. <laughs> and they still write some great poetry. <laughs> Some probably do, <laughs> and and I'm not meaning to to disparage healthy people, but but I also believe that in general, 
people who have had some experiences that are challenging are people who are much more compassionate and alive and aware. You know, those are my friends. <laughs> we get woke. We get woke through our process, through our journey. And, um, you know, certainly through all of this and through my, my experience of, of, of cooking for a living, um, it helped me transition into a, being becoming a practicing Buddha, Buddhist, practicing Buddhist. <laughs> I'm not a Buddha, not yet. <laughs> um, and you know, the spiritual journey along with the, along with um, this other stuff has certainly been a big, huge part of my um, my healing and my story. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about your cooking, though, too. Oh. That to me, is also an art and a way of connecting with you. Right. So, all right. So, so, um, so when I was in, I was, I was, I was, I was, I wasn't. I didn't know I was nearing the end of my my therapeutic journey, but towards it, um, I landed a job as an artist assistant, and he uh, sandblasted stone. He sandblasted designs into stone, um, so I was I was like his prep work person. And attached to his studio was this realty company that owned a taco stand. Okay, <laughs> and the taco stand was on site, so. They needed help, so they're like, "Hey, do you want to come help?" And I and I cooked when I was younger, and then I went into college, and then I graduated college, and um, I was trying to do some stuff, and then I ended up, you know, going crazy and getting therapy. And I and I and I went and I started cooking. So I, I uh, actually, so I was working at the zoo. So I got a job at the zoo in Tucson at Reed Park Zoo and I was cooking there and it was just like really, it was, it was fun when I was in the back cooking. And then she put me on the register and she put me on cleanup duty and I lost it. So I, and I was still working for this artist at the same time. And they were like, Hey, you want to come work at the taco shop? And I'm like, okay. And then I was working at the taco shop and doing the artist thing. And then all of a sudden the guy that ran the taco shop went back out and started using again. So he lost it. So they gave it to me. So for the next year, that was my life. And from there, I just hit different kitchens. And because the three things I was interested in when I was a child was writing, cooking, and making television. These are my three biggest loves in life. And so I had been writing and I'd been uh, uh, not a financially successful, but a a popularity successful poet in Tucson. When I moved back to when I moved back to Phoenix, I was uh, I was cooking. So I, you know, my focus shifted into cooking. I did I did some open mics, uh, and when our when our one really cool venue went down, it, the the community kind of like shattered, yeah. and it was slowly being put back together again. And I finally returned to that community. But when you're cooking and working nights and working 12, 14 yeah. hour days, when you have time, yeah. You know, when you have time, I didn't, you know, I had, when I had the day job, I could go and do stuff. And yeah. when, when I went to work for places that I, in hotels doing banquets and line work and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I, I got into cooking and my therapist was like, oh my God, this is so great for you. This is what you love to do. Like, cause I was already involved in the, in the video making community. I was, I was uh, through the access Tucson um, and I made a lot of video Again, not getting paid a lot, but having a good time, right? Mm-hmm. And I was doing the poetry thing. I was on the on the Tucson Poetry Festival board for three years. Um, 
uh, doing the mud people, uh, hosting some open mics, just, you know, doing all of that. And then I got into cooking and then I got a job where I was running this restaurant on fourth Avenue, which was the high, was the arts district was the place where everybody traveled. And when it was owned by the gay guys down the street who had the bar. So I was like totally immersed in this great cooking queer life. It was amazing, but I couldn't get to open mics because yeah. I was working nights. Well, I chose to work nights. I was the boss. Um, and I loved it. I love cooking. I love, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and the only reason I stepped away was, uh, I tore my shoulder up. So what I did was I took the cooking thing and I translated it into a food blog and an onsite and an online presence. And I have, uh, the kitchen shaman is a chef and a YouTuber. And I have a website with like, a whole bunch of recipes that are <laughs> vegan. <laughs> uh, vegan, if you didn't hear that. Uh, uh, you can always, if you want, add meat to any of my recipes. I don't recommend it. But um, so my spouse was vegetarian and transferred into vegan and one day said, you need to start writing this stuff down and make a blog. And so I had some dumbass blog for a bunch of years and we finally made it legitimate and made a business. Mm -hmm. When I stepped out of kitchens and I got through my shoulder therapy and I started coming out of the fog of the hydrocodone, I started going back into the poetic community. Uh, so John and Gail also has a YouTube channel. I make a lot of video and we just came off 30 days of poetry for the month of April. It's the national poetry. Yeah. Month. And I did, I didn't write new stuff. I recorded, edited and published 30 poems in cool. 30 days. So you can find that on my YouTube, on my other YouTube channel. So spell Jonna so people. J-O-H-N-N-A, Jonna Gale, G-A-L-E. And you can at Jonna Gale, I'm all over the internet. At Kitchen Shaman, all over the internet. I even have a Tumblr. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. My poetry Facebook is Diecast Poetry. Uh, so that's that one. So, so lots so, online. Yeah, lots online. So the cooking thing, well, I, and I do, and I do cooking demos. Um, I'm sort of backed off and I'm regrouping on that. Um, I really felt like I needed to give my shoulders some more time to heal. I did a, I did one at natural grocers, uh, when we first got here, but with our situation and with my physical abilities, I really had to back off from that for a while. Poetry, all I have to do is carry around a few books and my and my pad and, <laughs> and, and get up there and blah, 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 blah. Uh -huh. You know, so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the cooking thing. So the cooking thing helped me. Um, what I enjoyed about it is like I could hang. If I was in a ho hotel or whatever, I could hang out with a, a, a group of people. Loud, noisy plays. Not good for PTSD, but it helps you get over it. <laughs> because <laughs> because you know I, I i think one of the one of the lasting effects for me with with the abuse is the ptsd that's the hardest one to overcome because you you never know what's going to set you off uh -huh. so um and i've and i've had and i've been triggered twice in the last year two years so um, but the the noisy environment of a kitchen and all the shouting and the yelling and the and we only shout and yell because it's hard to hear over all the cooking noises. Uh -huh. It's not because we're mad at each other. Uh -huh. We just yell. 
and, and you can yell and get away with it. So, um, so the cooking thing was really good therapy for my anger issues. <laughs> Banged about on the pots and pans. Uh, I was thinking an angry person with a really big knife. I don't know, Johnny. <laughs> I know. Here, here, here you go. You got, you got hot oil, sharp objects, and, um, and fire. <laughs> And you got a bunch of guy people with temperaments that are like you should not be around those implements. <laughs> and unfortunately, in a lot of service environments, a lot of drinking. Yeah, I'm other substances. Oh my god, I stayed sober through it. I that's I, impressive. I fell off the wagon um, for like three years in the late nineties. Yeah, that's how I ended up back home. Was I crashed and burned in Tucson? Uh, crashed a truck into a Palaverde tree and almost killed me and uh, somebody I was dating. So we, I came home and my, and my sponsor, I love her dearly. Uh, my former sponsor uh, said, yeah, you, you don't get to work anywhere where there's alcohol for the first year. Mm -hmm. So that was the rule. Mm -hmm. So I found a job in a deli mm -hmm. and that was awesome. And I, and I did that for a while. And then I started working at the rainforest cafe uh, in Tempe at the Arizona Mills mall. They have a, Sister, uh, a sister restaurant in Las Vegas at MGM. Uh, it's huge. They have the you know cats and stuff like that, animals. It's like a theme park, right? Yeah, it's a theme restaurant. I think I've been it's in a, one someplace. I don't remember where. It's a theme restaurant. Yeah, yeah. There's a few around. There's a few. It's owned by Landry's. So, uh, but so I worked there, but alcohol was not accessible. Interesting, interesting sideline. We lived in Topeka from 2005 to 2006 or 2007, something like that. Like 10 years ago, we lived here. Uh, and I worked at the Shawnee Country Club. And there's a lot of wine parties. And um, I had gotten sober again in 2000. So, uh, so I've been sober almost 17 years. I got sober in 2000. This is 2005 or six. I've, I've, I've got a few 24 hours under my belt. Uh, wine dinner. Fancy schmancy huge wine dinner. I'm over in this one pantry. I'm all by myself. There's a service window. That's what we're doing. Salads and desserts out of. And my chef comes along and says, whatever you want. Okay, I've been there for a while. These guys know. Whatever you want to drink up there. Take it. <laughs> Lots of challenges. Yeah. And it is really hard to be a, a cook and a chef. In an alcoholic environment, especially when you're cooking with things like tequila, my last job, uh -huh. we had a, we had a ajillo, which was flaming shrimp. Uh, and uh, we had a tequila burn on cheese and a tequila burn on the shrimp. So, you know, you smell it, you're around it, but uh -huh. I'm committed. You know, I'm committed That's to this great. path. <laughs> That's great. That's inspiring. We're going to take a quick break, leaving people on that very positive note that, yes, Johnny can do it, and maybe that helps you know that even when you have a slip up, you can get back to the right path for you. Yeah. We're going to hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I'm just going to say my big thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces this show. So you all are getting to hear it. And we'll be right back with more with Johnny Gale. So listeners, welcome back to more talk with me, with Johnny Gale. And Johnny, I'm already thinking this needs to be part of a series of conversations. We're nowhere near going to touch on everything we could in the remaining half hour. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, this could be a continuing conversation, yeah. definitely. In fact, I have some monthly guests. Awesome. Awesome. Think about that. 
So I want people to hear your poetry, but I also want to make sure that you get to share the parts that you wanted to share during this first hour. You know, you'd mentioned how you, that, that theme that I have of the intersection of mental health and art really resonates for you. And so where do you want to go now in terms of this radio hour? Well, uh, what I want to do is talk about, um, you know, I, I stepped away from writing and I had a lot of things in my head that I wanted to write and I didn't write things down and I wrote a few things and I lost my, I lost my oldest niece. I lost my mom. Um, my dad died three years ago this last week. Um, and so what, what I did was I took, uh, when I got off of therapy and I moved back home and I got sober again, um, I took my work and I put it together. Now I had catharsis. So my first, my first book that I sold out of hand, I sold like 10 copies, was called, is cussing okay? Is, is bad words okay? All right. <laughs> I, know bad words. I don't know. I don't know. What are bad words? I don't know bad words. That's a judgment. Judgment. Buddhist judgment. Um, that's a bad word. <laughs> so I called it Powerfuck Poetry and it was like 10 pages and I had it like, you know, spiral bound and eight and a half by 11 and I put that out. That was my, so I self-published. So that was my first self-publishing. Uh -huh. I am looking for a publisher. <laughs> um, and there are then, lots of publishers who've been on this show. So. Yeah, so uh, so that was my first one. Then I put Catharsis together. Now, Catharsis originally was a volume of work that had everything in it I deemed print-worthy. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that was these three books and the Catharsis book all put together. And then I was looking, at, and I sold a bunch of those. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, I need to break this out. So I broke it out into sections. So the main body of catharsis remains, but I realized I had written a lot of love poetry. Interesting. I had written poetry about breakups, about heartache, about, oh my God, they were the right one and now they're the wrong one. And I put together this collection called Myth of the One. And uh, I did, it, it took a while to get it formatted and stuff. And I did sell a bunch of copies. It is available. Uh, all these books, are, all these chat books, these zines are available through my website. You have to email me to get the magic PayPal entry to pay me for a copy of a book. Um, but they're all available. Uh, Myth of the One was my, was one of my breakouts. It's 80 pages of angst from me. And, uh, uh, it's got some really good stuff in it. So uh, this is a piece I read. Um, yeah, I'll do this one. Uh, this is a piece I read for the month, National Poetry Month. So you can find it on my YouTube. You can see me performing it. It's really it's it's grunge poetry. It's basement poetry, bad lighting, but it's really fun and and you get to see me perform. And I wrote this one after I had gone through a series of really bad relationships. And then I met somebody and I was like, oh, my God, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Because, you know, like I was led by my heart and my stuff. My <laughs> I'm a very passionate person. And I like that. I, I, I like physical. Uh -huh. I like physical interaction. So I wrote this because I had put myself on hold for a while. And it wasn't doing any of that. And I was like, people suck. Relationships suck. Oh my God, I'm not going to fall in love. 
And this isn't about love. This is about passion. Consumed. Do I dare take passion as a playmate once more? Succumb to the wildness of burning desires? I have been consumed before, eaten by the snake in the garden. I have been released, cried to the goddess as the lash pleased. So I tease mind and body once more, holding, holding on to what I thought I had let go, crumbling down, resistance giving away, feeling the flesh eating fire dance on my skin. From your fingertips and tongue comes a sense, yes, please me, yes, release me, the desire to satisfy you, to lie back and not be greedy. I have been consumed before, so you say I will have this desire that beats hard in my breast, awakes my cunt, alights my clitoris. I wander lost in these familiar feelings, wonder now why, why do they come? I want to beg, plead, yes, fuck me now, I want to come. But I really don't mean it. I'd rather see you, feel you, taste your pleasure, feed my greed vicariously. This also I don't believe. What am I left with? An ache, a want, an unfulfilled fantasy washing over me like a clear waterfall, cleansing me, filling my spirit. In these times I cried to the goddess, why? Why did you make my spirit so fierce, my soul so alive? Why this need? Why this drive? Why is it impossible to be satisfied without being consumed? Wow. There is more like that in Myth of the One. Um, <laughs> and I want to say, I also wrote, um, I don't wrote, write love poetry just for the people I'm interacting with, also for my friends or maybe my parents. Uh -huh. Or I have a series of lessons that I've been working on, and um, that's probably going to go into a breakout chat book at some point because um, I learned a lot of lessons from my parents. And they taught, they, even with this traumatic, broken, weird childhood I had, there was, there was love. Mm -hmm. and, and I recognize that and I accept that. You know, the path has been one of forgiveness, forgiveness of self and forgiveness of, of others. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. So, so Myth of the One came, Crisis of Consciousness uh, as a chapbook, Myth of the One is a is an eighty page manuscript uh, book. Uh, Crisis of Consciousness is a chapbook. Uh, what was I got like? I don't know. It's fifteen poems in it. Um, so I do self publish, and you know these are really fun to put. These are actually I was calling them chapbooks, but they're also called zines. So, um, and I. I didn't. Oh, I don't have that one in here. Okay. Yeah, I'll do this one. Um, so this one you can also see on my YouTube. Uh, um, no, that's not good. Crisis of consciousness: uh, socio-political conversations with myself and my and the society I live in. And it uh, it's got you know some of the titles are "Do I Scare You?" "Apocalyptic Vision," "New Old America." Uh, then I've got Iconography 1 and 2, The War Cry, Heroes Unsung. Uh, I've read a bunch of these already at Speakeasy Poets. Uh, and I don't know how much this has to do with sociopolitical, but it made it in here because it didn't fit anywhere else. 
and it could kind of relate to any kind of wounds, okay. but it's called surgery. You saw the wound, the big open gash running slantwise across my chest, the flesh torn, shriveling, blood welling, no place to run. Do you have the surgeon's precision to stitch the wound, to bend over the light and methodically one needle poke at a time, bring the thread across? I wait while waiting. I feel the prick, the pull, your hands shaking, your brow sweating. No, you are not the surgeon. You lack the finesse. You are not the surgeon who can bottle up fear, that little wild child who gawks at the world in wonder. You are not the surgeon to cut out a part of me to save the rest. I wait. While waiting, hold my chest, blood pooling in my hand, red, sticky. The smell of my own fluid annoys me. Now I walk. While walking away, I knit each stitch. I will wait my own wound to heal. More like that. Intense. <laughs> yeah. See, I was an angry lesbian poet, and then I became a gender queer. I don't know. You know. You know. So I was. Huh? Go ahead. And, and I'm one of those people who doesn't deal well with with physical health, blood, etc. So I think I kind of left you while you were reading that. <laughs> a little check out there. Yeah. yeah. Lot, well, and that's one of the things. I mean, it's it's something that makes people feel uncomfortable. But we all have those wounds, and we want you. I want you to fix me, right? You're supposed to fix that wound. But what do they say? What do they say in therapy? We can't fix each other. Yeah, we can't. Nobody can do it to you. You have people can accompany you, but they can't do it for you. And, and that's one of the things about my spouse. My spouse has been on this journey with me for a long time. I, we've been on this journey together. And um, and it's just, you know, they were sort of like the doorway that flung it open to let it be okay for me to become who I am today. You know, somebody who wants to sit there and say, no, no, you can't be that. No, no, you can't be that. Why? Well, okay. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, I, I, I don't like to hang out with people who tell me I can't do that. Right. Right. All right. If it's something illegal or nefarious or really <laughs> sketchy, maybe I won't do it. But, you know, it's not just be. as a judgment call that that's sketchy or nefarious. You know what I mean? That's, that's where we get into problems with people who think right. that they know better than somebody else what is or who a person is and who people can be. Well, sketchy to me is like, if I'm going into an area that I know that my well-being and my safety would be at risk, that's not something I should participate in actively. Right. Because but there are ignorant people who would say genderqueer is sketchy and dangerous. It you is. I mean? Well, what I mean is that they would say that you, you don't have the right to identify as that. You know, there are people who, who right. have different kinds of beliefs that I think are oh. very wrong, but that that's where it gets to be difficult for people you know when you when you give people permission to say what's dangerous for you that's all i would say <laughs> let me put this together right because this is a really good point and what i wanted to make so i came out as a lesbian that was sketchy and dangerous <laughs> you know i would be walking down the street yeah. and tucson people would be throwing coke you know their their sodas at me yeah i mean i experienced a level of violence and trauma yeah that you can't identify physically, yeah. But 
there, we were emotionally abusive to people who are different. Yeah. We are as a society. Yeah. So I, I experienced that trauma. Yeah. Um, as far as being kink and leather, uh, I didn't talk about that a lot. So I didn't put myself in a position to be. And a couple of times that I did when I was younger, because I've been that way for a long time, um, I was in conversations with people who were telling me the way I identified was wrong. Mm -hmm. So then I take this big, long journey to become this genderqueer person. And I know. And one of the things I share with people and they freak out about is like, for me, literally going to the bathroom is a political act. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out what I'm going to do, where I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it and having to send my spouse into the bathroom first because they look more female than I. And then if people see us, they're like, oh, it's a lesbian couple. Because we we pass ourselves off. We look very much like a monogamous lesbian couple. <laughs> you know, I look butch. They look a little on the femme side, more androgynous. But, you know, so we get red as a lesbian couple, even though we neither one of us identify that way. Okay. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> that's but some of the stuff I'm writing one. about. Yeah. yeah, but yes, my the way I am in my life is definitely you know on the outskirts and is is an outlaw sort of uh, way of being. But I've always been that, so I've always put myself in 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 these. Uh, I, I walk in the world differently and it puts, it puts me in situations where I have to have, be in conversations with people that could lead to potential violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was at the Mercury Cafe in Denver and I had read my piece, uh, and I'll get to it um, when I read the one piece, which is my new signature poem, uh, My Body is a Battleground, um, I got done and then like, well, you know, the open mic was over and I went to the bathrooms and, and I had a choice. They were like, yes, choose. I wasn't told I couldn't go into one or the other. Mm -hmm. So. And for those of us, you know, I am a cisgender female. It's never been an issue. It's something I take for granted. And I have to be able to get past what it is for me and hear you and know that there are a lot of people who going to the bathroom is a terrifying event. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. I have friends who have gotten RVs because they won't use the mm -hmm. the um, the restrooms out yeah. on, the, on the highways. It's dangerous. Yeah. And even in a less scary um just encounter that people have. I love this story from a friend of mine, um, a trans woman friend. And um, she, she was talking about being at the grocery store, one of the grocery stores here in Lawrence and how she saw um, a, a teen who was obviously a trans girl and an adult appeared to be the, the kid's mom. And they were in line and the, the teen was, the one who was doing the you know, purchasing and the mom was just the woman, the adult, you know, I, I don't know if the shirt mom, but anyway, we'll call her the mom because it's easier. <laughs> the mom was, was there and was observing and was just kind of, as I would say, literally having this kid's back. And, and my friend Christy said it made her cry because she didn't have anybody like that yeah. to help her. And how one of the terrifying things as a trans person is those public encounters and not knowing how somebody's gonna respond. You don't know how. And, yeah. And so she's looking at this this trans girl that and she had, she assumed by presentation, um, you know, that's that's how this person identified at that moment. That that 
you know, this this the good fortune of having a mom who is there, yeah, supporting. Yeah. Part of part of part of my part of my um, some of the pain I I carry is the fact that I didn't have supportive parents mm-hmm. in the path I chose, mm-hmm. um, and you know, now that they've passed on, I can't I can't I can't have that conversation mm-hmm. with them. So. You know, we can have a conversation. I don't know if they'll hear it or not, but you know, it's, it's. I never got that validation. Yeah. And sometimes that makes me angry. Uh-huh. You know, it's like I go to speakeasy, and you know, if there's the high school kids that come, and sometimes their guardians or their parents yeah. are there supporting them, and it is a very, um, it is a very safe place for, uh-huh. for gender variants. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, it was. It, it's. 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 It took me a lot to get here and figure it out. And then watching my friends' journeys, I have probably, I don't know, eight or 10 people that I know personally that have transitioned over the years. Mm -hmm. And watching their journeys Mm -hmm. and and how they interact and deal with the world around them through that has been incredibly Mm eye-opening. And I think that part of what you're saying is that it's not the same. And I want to back you up. You used the phrase, the path that you chose. Tell us what you mean by the path that you chose. Well, I, um, okay, so I came out as a lesbian when I was, I was, I was 18 when I was, I was almost 19 when I met this person. And we hadn't, you know, I had a couple of high school encounters, but then I like, I was like, oh, this is what I am. Okay, I'm a lesbian because, you know, I had sex with a girl. Oh my God, I had sex with a female bodied human being and it was amazing and it was great. And it was like, this is what I am. This is what I'm going to pursue. And so I, I don't know if I chose that or it chose me, but I, I, uh, I have, I have, I can have healthy sexual relationships with all sorts of people, you know? Um, but as a lesbian, I'm supposed to have sex with women. So that's what I was doing. And, uh, so I don't know, a lot of people talk about, well, it's not a choice to be gay or not gay. But for me, the path I chose isn't just, isn't just queer, um, queer, spiritual. I was also doing this alcohol and drug thing. And that may, you know, yes, it's an addiction. It's an, a disease. Alcoholism is, is a physical issue. Um, but also I choose to pick that bottle up every day. You know, I, I, I have tools today. I can put it back there. Mm-hmm. So I, so I had chosen, I, I, whatever part of me chose to, to walk this path of, of fire, mm-hmm. you know, being an outskirts, being, being an outlaw, because I'm not just, just a gender or sexual outlaw, I'm sexuality outlaw. I also like my writing and my, and, and the way I go about getting published and, um, the people I meet and love, um, I don't walk in this straight, narrow world. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I chose that. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose that. I, 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 ever since like high school, I haven't been able to like handle conversations about normalcy. What we perceive as normalcy, mm-hmm. what our society, what the greater part of the society agrees upon is, you know, the rules and the rituals and the and the and the and the trappings of our uh-huh. society: consumerism, uh, capitalism, uh, uh, Christianity, 
these are things that I don't buy into. Um, and I learned to make television, but instead of going into the field of television, I went into art filmmaking. <laughs> so, so, and, and I didn't go to the union when they offered to pay me to take me out to California and work. I didn't do that. That was a choice I made. You know, I might've been, you know, who knows? I could have been dead before I was 30 from a cocaine overdose at that point, if I had gone. Mm-hmm. You know, because I stayed home, because I stayed in Arizona, I my my life took different turns. Mm-hmm. And and I appreciate your your openness and your sharing. And and the reason that I asked specifically about that phrase, choosing your path, is because I I think that has a lot of levels of meaning. You know, and even even choosing is choosing a conscious thing in terms of who I am genuinely or is the choice to outwardly be who I am you know that's a choice do you did somebody could I as a heterosexual cisgender female choose to be gender queer I don't think so that would be a little hard right yeah. right right yeah. now and, and when I talk about choosing, it's like every step of the way there have been there have been paths I could take. Right. Yeah. You know, no, I could stay on this course, or I could stay on this course, or I could, you know. Yeah. And whether I consciously or unconsciously chose it, whatever whatever steps I took mm-hmm. to be here today with you, mm-hmm. there were choices along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I chose to get into that truck and drive me and my and my my person at the time over those sketchy hills, over those uh-huh. byways that ended us into a, ended us up in a Palverde dream. Mm-hmm. I chose that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. The alcohol kind of chose it for me, but I'm somebody who takes responsibility for the actions I've, 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 I've taken over mm-hmm. my, over the years. And, um, and I'm very conscientious of the fact that every little piece of detail has led me to this place I am today. Mm-hmm. And and still, I, for listeners who I'm sh- I hope are really thinking about what you're saying and grappling this, I want to put it sort of in the extreme to say, I don't think that you could have chosen to be a cisgender heterosexual female because that's not who you are. <laughs> that wasn't ever going to happen. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that wasn't ever going to happen. I had a friend one time say to me, when I was when I was first explaining this identity a few years back, and said, "Oh, I think you'll eventually come back to being a butch lesbian." Uh, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me talk about um, these other two books okay. real quick. Um, so because we just sort of went that's what I do with people. <laughs> Um, so my third book is Absolution. Um, it's it's uh, it's the follow-up companion to Myth of the One. And once I got done being a jaded fuck um, about love and I met my spouse, uh, I wrote this collection. And at one point in time, I was, uh, your viewers can't see it, your listeners can't see it, but at one point I was hand-binding them for myself and gluing everything on myself and not copying it. I was, I was, making every single book every piece was art every piece was art as well as word art we're gonna we're gonna move this into the digital because i just don't have the time anymore Uh and it has my old (laughs) my old thing shoes for art that was an old thing 
Um, so this was poetry that I wrote uh, about people uh, and um, had some experiences with uh, a couple of other people. And then there's a couple of poems for my spouse in here. Wow. Um, oh, I haven't read this in a long time. I like it. The, this 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 poem is not just uh, words performance. This is actually a on the page poem because I did a format thing on it. Um, I haven't read this probably sixteen years, and even though I put the books together in the two thousands, a lot some some a couple of these were oh maybe no maybe this is I don't have it it's probably two ninety seven ninety seven spaces. This fondness knows no parameters. The distance is not distance. Just space between the energy, the connection reveals the underbelly of emotions you would rather not speak. This fondness does not recognize a capture like you envision. I cannot cage a gold-winged tipped eagle with sharp eyes, wit, and humor. This fondness wants to behold you in the freedom that flies between these spaces. The energy crackling beneath the surface. The fire breathing crashes into me and flies free. That's beautiful. And we are in the last couple minutes of oh the hour, God. Johnny. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Please don't call me a lesbian. I'm a freak. <laughs> it's my zine that you can uh, get from Wasted Ink Distro, Wasted Ink Zine Distro, on their online shop, or you can order it directly from me. I carry around copies. So if you catch me at an open mic somewhere, right. I'm going to be in Kansas City next week. Where are you going to be, Casey? Uh, Kansas City Wednesday night open mic uh, uh, at uh, Uptown Arts Bar. Uptown right. Arts, Arts Bar. That's where I'm going to be next. All right. So this show airs on Tuesday the 23rd. And are you talking about which Wednesday? 31st. 31st. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uptown Arts Bar is a wonderful place and amazing people end up there. So I, 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 I met a couple of them. So, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of excited. I met Maddie May by act, pure accident. And then um, I met Jen Harris because uh, we did the storytelling thing. Jen Harris. She is amazing. Yes. She's an amazing human being. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. So what are the best ways for people to find you in addition to there at the Uptown Arts Bar on the 31st of May? Remind people about all these online things. Right. Well, I'll be at Speakeasy Poets on June 5th. The uh, first Wednesday first, in Topeka. First Wednesday in Topeka. Uh, and uh, you can find me at John Gale. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is Diecast Poetry. Uh, Tumblr, YouTube. If you want to look at my food stuff, that's kitchenshaman.com. That's my website. And you can at kitchenshaman. I'm on, on Twitter. Facebook, uh, Instagram, and YouTube there. And just uh, if you follow me on Diecast Poetry on Facebook, then I, I put up where I'm going to be, what I'm doing. Uh, I'll do check-ins. And I, I'm also working on uh, featuring some other, it's called Poets You Should Know. So I'm trying to find some 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 of the people around and the local poets and the, like if they have a YouTube or if they have a a, a, a a SoundCloud or something. I'll uh -huh. I'll play. I'll put their I'll put a link up to their stuff. Great. So wonderful. If you're a poet and you want links, hit me up. 
All right. And that would be through Diecast Poetry on Facebook. Yes. The easy way. Yes, the All easy right. way. Cool. Well, Johnny Gale, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for meeting you. Yeah. yeah. And we get to say, listeners, we know that this has been an hour that you have learned from, enjoyed, have things you're going to think about. It's all good. Thank you. And so long.